listening to Lead Defend, the podcast designed to help you grow in faith and leadership as you navigate the stages of your young adulthood. We address important faith topics and provide practical life tips, helping you build your faith as you engage in a changing culture. Here are your hosts, Seth Tucker and Ryan Scantling. Hey, this is Ryan, and I'm here with Seth, and today we have a special guest, Bill Newton, uh, joining with us today. Bill is a young adults pastor at Hot Springs. Bill, you kind of changed Generations positions. Yeah, pastor. Generations at Pastor. First Baptist Church, Hot Springs. So what does Generations Pastor even mean? Yeah, so it's kind of like a family ministry position, but it's really specific to some things we want to do in our context. Sort of the big picture is I'm cradled to the grave in some way, shape, or form <laughs> Okay. Uh, after doing yeah. youth ministry for almost 23 years. So, yeah. Um, Get to work with parents, get to work with adults, still get to work with students, but in a little different way than I than I did previously. Well, Bill is a friend of Lead Defend, has been involved in, yeah. I guess, almost all the conferences yeah. since we've started. I think six everyone years ago. since we started, yeah. And uh, we're excited to have him. We're going to talk about the big topic of abortion, and we're going to kick it to Seth. Seth's got some background in this, and we want all him right. to open it up. Yeah, by background, it's not like I'm educated in this. It is more so that uh, my life story begins with uh, the potential for an abortion. Uh, I was born to a teen mom. She was 16 when she uh, conceived me and uh, 17 when I was born. But uh, her parents had told her that if, uh, that if she did not get an abortion, that she was going to get kicked out of the house. Wow. And uh, so she went, visited the clinic uh, a couple times kind of hear about what it was going to be like and, and so on. And um, the night before she was going to have an abortion, this is how the story was told to me, uh, that her youth pastor showed up at her house and showed her a video of what would take place in an abortion. Wow. And uh, the next day, she couldn't go. Wow. And uh, so uh, my parents, who've raised me from uh, the day I was born, uh, were friends with her youth pastor. And my parents said... Uh, they've been trying to adopt for a long time, actually, and, and it didn't ever work out. Uh, and so, so God put them together, and my parents put her up in an apartment for the remainder of her pregnancy, and uh, she gave me to them, and uh, she got to go back home after that. But all that wow. to say, uh, I have, I'm, very, I'm very moved by uh, the idea that, that God has a plan for every child, and uh, and. Who are we to dictate uh, what that plan should be? Wow. So, what a great story. Yeah. I did not know that about you. Yeah. Man. And, and so I think that leads us to know that these are real-life situations. And so when yeah, we're talking absolutely. about abortion, we're not just talking in the abstract. We're talking about students who are making hard decisions, dealing with consequences of things. Yeah. Uh, and so, Bill, really, where does this conversation start? Well, um, I think one of the things that makes— the conversation so difficult is because it's not just an academic one it's a emotional one yeah right like it's one thing to kind of sit and say scientifically here's where life begins and here is where uh you know a way to refute some of the arguments on the pro-choice side but you know when it's real life kind of like sales situation you know with a teenage mom who's 16 that's tough that's hard and mm. so i think one is to to help people realize that they need to be compassionate but that emotion isn't what gets to dictate what's true and what should guide decisions that we make because wow. our emotions are tricky, right? I mean, like one minute I'm here and the next minute I'm there. Like if I just live solely off emotions, my life would be a complete disaster. Yeah. If I live solely off of emotions, I would have been married seven different times. <laughs> before I my wife. Um, and she's going to hear that and she's going to be like, yeah, he's an idiot. He probably would have. So. It's good. And so, so tell us, Bill, really the, the concept of, 
being pro-life or advocating for life, um, it starts with a foundation, a foundation of, man, we believe that life is created in God's image and yes. he has a purpose and a plan for it. And so tell us how that foundation really defines this argument or, or this debate or where you land on this stuff. Yeah. So, you know, part of this is coming from a biblical worldview, believing that everybody is made in the image of God, that everybody is valuable, is really, really key to understanding that situations and emotions can't, can't really dictate what is always the best outcome for the people involved. Um, and so the image of God issue is a really big. The other one is, is going from that point to believing that we are made in the image of God. The question that will come up, even if there's somebody who would, who would grant you that, who may not be from that worldview, or who may be from that worldview but doesn't believe that, that life doesn't begin at conception but not until birth actually happens. And so that's where you get the mix of, well, here's what the Bible says, but here's what also science tells us. And those two things, you know, a lot of people think faith and science are enemies, but I, they are best friends. They are hand in hand. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you were holding hands, they would be uh, interlocking digits, as I would say, right? It oh, be so just, it would be a finger's lace yes, it'd be type a finger's deal. Lace. Yes. They are that yes. close uh, together. Yes, Bill Newton man. is not a <laughs> hands cupped type guy. No, not, with, not with Bible and science, next man. To him during okay. prayer. Don't stand next to him during prayer. <laughs> Bible and uh, science. Man, so interlocked. But, but what I find ironic about that, Bill, is in a culture that adopts science and says that it does counteract faith, yeah, right? Uh, they don't make decisions based upon logic, they make it on emotion. That's correct. And, and how, I mean, how we got there, I don't know. But well, some of that I think goes to worldview. Some of that yeah. I believe honestly goes to the, the idea, although we're kind of moving out of this, I think, in culture. But some of that goes to, I think, the idea of, of uh, relative truth yeah. and postmodernism and those kind of things. Uh, there's an inter interesting quote from Cecile Richards, who uh, was the former director of Planned Parenthood. She said this just a couple of years ago. She made a statement. She said, I spent a lot of time with OBGYNs, and they tell you that there is no specific moment when life begins. And then she went on to say that as a mom, she got to decide when life begins for her child and her specific quote she said was for me it was when my babies were born that's when their life wow. began for me but whatever it is for you that's fine right so, she, so she's really talking about a relative truth like a yes like i get to decide when life begins but you have to be really careful with that because if you can apply that to other areas you know if you can if you can do that with life why can't you do that with other areas mm -hmm. as well like well okay well i don't want that to be true at this particular time i want this to be true at that particular yeah. time and so really one creates a slippery slope two logically it just doesn't hold up um and so, but again, that's where emotions kind of get to rule the day over what we know to be yeah. facts. So what are some, some major arguments or thoughts that, that we need to have? So if we're not going to think about abortion and other things, uh, but specifically abortion, if we're not going to think about abortion in emotional ways, but we want to think logically, yeah. what are some arguments or thoughts that we can, that, that we can follow? Yeah, that's good. Um, and so, again, we don't want to discredit the emotion, especially if somebody is yeah. considering abortion kind of similar yeah. to your mom's situation. There's a lot of emotion or, there. Because there is, and that, you know, yeah. that's real-life stuff. There that's right. you know, a lot of people who uh, end up pregnant, women who end up pregnant, yeah. who are genuinely concerned about their economic Absolutely. situation and, and can they care for this child, whether they want the child or not, can they care for that child um, in that situation. And so that's, that. and just a quick side note, that's where the church should get to step up and be the church, that's right. quite honestly, both with foster care and with being able to, 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 to come along alongside people in those difficult situations. Mm -hmm. That's probably another podcast for another day. But uh, but like when people always ask, okay, scientifically, how do you address the question, when does life begin? Scientifically speaking, there are three criteria for how to tell if something is alive. Number one is it has to be distinct, has to be separate from everything else. Mm -hmm. Number two, it has to be living. And number three, it has to be whole. 
It has to be complete in and of itself. Mm. So when something is all three of those, it's considered alive in some way, shape, or form from a scientific perspective. Wow. The baby in the womb, from the moment of conception, meets all three of those criteria. From it's the moment of conception? From the moment of conception, wow. yes. So on the distinct side of things, for example, when the sperm and egg come together, those are separate cells. But when they come together, you get a very unique chromosomal structure in the embryo, right? It's it's separate from the mom. It's it's similar to the mom. It has mm-hmm. some similarities because half of the traits, you know, half, half of the genetics are from the mom. But it's also distinct from the mom, so it fits that. Living, anything that reacts uh, to stimuli, anything that converts food to energy, uh, anything that grows is considered alive. The embryo from the moment of conception begins doing all three of those things in some way, shape, or form. So it meets that particular criteria. The other is uh, that it's whole that it is completely on its own. And again, it's completely separate from the mom. There's some overlap there between the distinct and the whole, but there is also some things that are technical on the science side that, that are separated out. But the point is, it does all three of those things. The baby in the womb meets all three of those criteria that you would apply to anything else. Ironically enough, and this is where logic begins to come in, it's always fascinating for me to see some type of report on the space program that we have in our country. I'm not against it, hmm. so I'm not saying that. But we're spending if they've ever been. billions of dollars. I got oh, you. Oh, you're, oh, you're saying we've not been on the moon. I don't know, man. we got a new Space Force going on, so uh, they'll blast you for that. <laughs> I'm so sorry. So, I mean, you know, we're spending billions of dollars to go to other planets. So they go to Mars. They find some water, and there's a cell. What are they going to proclaim about the one cell they find in the water? There's life. Life on other planets. You take that same idea of a cell, put it in a womb, all of a sudden it's not life. Wow. Why? Because we're being pick and choose with what we want, but you can't call a cell in water on another planet life and call the cell in the womb that is whole, living, and distinct not life. Wow. Like, like you're, that's an illogical thing. You just blew my mind thing. with that. That's an uh, illogical thing. Uh, the fact that, uh, and I think it comes to what we want to celebrate. Absolutely. And, and that's really the, the whole labeling of these movements. Pro-life, we can celebrate life. Pro-choice, well... Nobody would say a choice is a bad thing, typically. Typically. And so I, I think sometimes we have the propensity to camouflage really negative things with really language that yes. people can get behind and get excited about. Yes. And, I, and, and that's where some of the emotional stuff comes in, right? Like yeah. if you pay attention from the pro-choice side, a lot of that is emotional stuff. Like she's not going to be able to take care of the baby on her own. Mm-hmm. You know, she's a single mom or she was raped. She didn't want the child. And so, you know, those are all emotional stuff. And, and, and anybody can sit back and sympathize with that. Absolutely. You know, who, who, who has any type of sympathy in their body whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And so it's very easy if we're not careful to let emotions take over our logic and things that we know to be true. We're actually here at the Lead Defend Conference live right now. And right now there's rooms full of college students, young adults just filling up. And and the truth is there's a lot of them who have friends or maybe have been through situations themselves where uh, they've made mistakes or they've done things and, and have found themselves in the midst of pregnancy. So for a young woman who finds herself in that life situation, uh, there's a lot of shame sometimes in speaking openly about that. And, and sometimes the quickest and easiest answer that's proposed to them is just go get an abortion, take care of that. And so, Bill, how do you speak into that moment right there, that moment of crisis that could arise in someone's life? When somebody is considering one or somebody has had one? Someone is considering one first. Considering but we one? definitely need to talk about someone who has had that yes. abortion. Um, that's where I would just sit down. I mean, I could think like as a youth pastor being in a you know, situation where, where you sit down and you just you cry with them, mm-hmm. you sympathize with them, but you also try to help them to see the big picture outside of the moment. Because yeah. one of the things that's not often talked about in the moment, especially from those who 
go uh, who do abortions, places like Planned Parenthood, there's no counseling about the trauma that comes after that. And statistically, when you do the research, a vast majority of women who have wow. an abortion, even if they chose to have the abortion 100% of their own free will, there's usually something down the road that causes some type of trauma for them, whether they end up having, uh, you know, getting married and having a child later and all of a sudden all this regret kicks in mm. or something. There's usually some type of trigger. And it's a, you, people will probably be surprised if they've never done the research how many women end up in counseling, mm-hmm. uh, you know, even decades later. Uh, I met a lady not too long ago, a year or two ago, who uh, she was 40 years post having mm-hmm. an abortion and was still like she was just really kind of beginning to come like for the first decade or so she was fine. But wow. then it started catching up with her. Right. And so for 30 years or so, she was just having a really hard time dealing with this. And it's just not, you know, it, it's, it's difficult. Um, when you let the emotions kind of run in and people just thinking, okay, well, once I get the abortion, everything's fine. You know, everything's going to be good. But f- again, for a vast majority of women, it ends up sometime down the road catching up with them mm-hmm. uh, in, in a way where they really need some people to come alongside and show them grace and show them love and show them forgiveness. One of the cool things the last few years I've noticed is there are now like some Bible studies in churches for, for women. Uh, Surrendering the Secret is one, a um, couple of others. Yeah that are out there to help women kind of deal with mm. that from a very grace-based forgiveness perspective. Because we know now that there are millions of women who have had abortions Absolutely. in our Absolutely. country. And, uh, so, yeah. So so think, think about this on the statistic side, talking about millions of women. So there were somewhere around 3,300 people killed in 9-11, which we would all agree is a tragedy. Statistically, last year, there were that many abortions that happened every day on average in America. So, I mean, it was kind of a 9-11 type situation with the womb every day last year, right? And so that's a, you know, that that's not only a lot of death, but that's a lot of Man. women who are hurting and a lot of women who are going to need some people to walk alongside them at some point in the future and show them grace and love. Let's, uh, let's kind of talk about some of those arguments that, uh, that, you know, a pro-choice uh, perspective holds, and, l- and let's just talk about them. Okay. Like, so uh, one of which is is what if what if a, a young girl is raped, yeah. and she finds herself pregnant? Um, share share with us about that. Yeah. Okay. Um, so again, um, just kind of thinking through big picture logic deal. So one of the things that that. I, an approach I learned a few years ago with a lot of these topics that has been extremely valuable to me. A guy named Greg Kokel hmm. wrote a really great book called Tactics that just talks about how to have conversations with people. It, it was great. Which is something that a Absolutely. lot of folks need help on these yes. days. Yes. Oh, yeah. It's an election year. <laughs> when you don't I mean, know what to it's say. It's an election year. Yeah. yeah. Well, when you don't know what to say and, and you try to say something, yeah. you often say something stupid. Or foolish and or mm. ungracious. That, that, or, that's a good word. Or something like that. So, yes. like, educate us on how to talk. Okay. Well, it's a really great book if you want to know how to have conversation on a variety of topics. But me, probably one of the big things I, that I walked away with was a, an idea he called take it for a test drive. And that is when somebody says something, mm. you go, okay, let's logically play this out and see where this takes us. That's good. You know, kind of like when you test drive a car. Like, it looks good. You know, you go around and kick the tires. But let's start it up. Let's take it down the road and see how it drives. Yeah. Like, where does it get us? Does it break down on the way, or is it going to get mm-hmm. me where I need to go? And so that has been invaluable, especially doing a lot of apologetics and worldview stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we'll apply that to some of these objections that are out there. So on the rape one, if you take it for a test drive, here's a couple things. First of all, I don't know of of any place where two wrongs make a right, right? Like, the rape was wrong. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. right? Absolutely. And that is a very traumatic event on the woman and those that mm. are close to her, but especially for her. But 
turn around and and taking the life of the child who is a result of that rape does not make it right right so that that's not and, and again you get back into what we were talking about earlier with the counseling you know there's a, there's a whole other trauma that can come with that mm-hmm. so that's that's one of the things I would say is two wrongs don't make a right second one is uh, I can't think of any time in my life where just because somebody calls me a hardship, I got to turn around and do something bad to somebody else. Wow. Right? Like if I have a bad day at work and somebody makes me mad and I go home and hit my kids, that doesn't make it right just because I endure that hardship. Now, again, my boss treat me bad. It's not the same as rape. I'm not saying that. But yeah. what I am saying is, one, again, it's kind of that just because I undergo a hardship doesn't mean I can do something wrong to somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, and taking it for a test drive, and I'm always very careful when I use this. Because I don't want anybody to think I'm in favor of this because I'm not. But if you were to use Kokel's tactic and take this particular thing for a test drive, if you're saying it is okay to kill the baby who is innocent in this situation yeah, because of the trauma that happened, then you could also logically, again, I'm not for this, but logically you could also make an argument for, well, why not kill the woman who was raped? Because she was innocent as well. If you're going to take one innocent life, logically, then why would it be wrong to take a second innocent life, right? Mm. Now, nobody is going to be in favor of that. Nobody's going to say that the woman should be punished for that. But the point is, on the logical side, if the woman should not be punished and she shouldn't, then why are we going to punish the child for that, wow. right? Um, another argument that sometimes comes with that is, you know, f- for, for some women— they are afraid, um, and it could very well be that for the next nine months, every time they think of the baby, every time they feel the baby kick, when the baby's born, every time they see the baby, it's a reminder of that trauma. And I yeah. completely understand how that could happen, right? Mm-hmm. But again, that's one of those where two wrongs don't make a right. Yes, it can be traumatic, but to, again, in my opinion, that's where the church gets to be the church, and the church can come alongside that mom, and they can help her and walk through that and help get her counseling. And then after baby, you know, after the baby's born, there's a lot of people out there who would love to be foster parents or love to adopt that child, right? And, wow. and help intentionally. I know a lot of parents right now looking to yes. adopt yes. children, and it's hard. Yeah, absolutely. But that's where they need somebody the mom needs somebody who can walk alongside her. And really, to me, that's a great opportunity for the church wow. to get the opportunity to be the church. Yeah. So, again, on the surface, yes, that sounds really good. But when you take it for a test drive and think through logically, like, here's what you're saying, it just, to me, it just does not hold up for multiple reasons. Um, what are some other ones that, that, some other, like, arguments that you would want our audience to hear about? And to take yeah. for a test drive, maybe, or, or something like that. Yeah, that's good. So one of the one of the other ones uh, that a lot of people will say is, uh, well, you know, if you don't like an abortion, don't have one. Or the way that also shows up is, well, you know, I'm not for abortion, but you know, personally, I'm. I, but mm-hmm. but the problem with that is, it's just kind of taking a neutral stance, which is really difficult. Uh, Francis J. Beckwith, who's done some writing on this, uh, said this one time. He said, imagine if I said, don't like slavery, then don't own a slave. He said, if I said that, you would immediately realize that I did not truly grasp why people believe that slavery is wrong. Slavery is not wrong because I don't like it. It's wrong because slaves are intrinsically valuable human beings who are not by nature property. Whether I like slavery or not is not relevant to the question of whether slavery is wrong. Imagine another example. Don't like spousal abuse? Then don't beat your spouse. Again, the wrongness of spousal abuse does not depend on my preferences or taste. In fact, if someone likes spousal abuse, we would say that he or she is evil or sick. We would not adjust our view of the matter and say, well, I guess spousal abuse is right for you, Mm. but not for me. Right? Yeah. And so, you know, again, logically, you play that out, uh, you know, on the surface, it's like, well, listen, I'm not going to get involved, you know, because it's not my situation. But, you know, if you hear your neighbor beating his wife or beating Mm -hmm. his kids and you don't get involved, 
you're wrong yeah. because you're not standing up for some people who need to be stood up for. And certainly the one in the womb does not have a voice, right? Just cannot be stood up for. So that's where we get the opportunity, I think, to stand up and have the opportunity to do that. So to just simply to, to basically make it, I guess the bottom line would be to make it a matter of preference doesn't doesn't work like that's not a valid argument at all and, and speaking of that bill you're uh you're a pastor student pastor is kind of your background second most important job in the world to collegiate minister um <laughs> but but here's the thing you don't have a medical history uh you, you, yeah. you you've not been uh medically trained but you are passionate about standing up for the rights of yeah. the unborn and so how can a group of people students young adults who do not have this medical background, medical training, still advocate for unborn lives? Yeah, I think the big thing is, one, um, to be willing to be bold, to stand up and not be afraid to make a comment when somebody is making a comment on the other side. Yeah. And then the second is just to get equipped. Um, you know, there's lots of issues on the apologetic side, and there's lots of resources, but especially for uh, those who are interested in uh, this pro-life side, um, the main resource I would recommend, and it's not a hard read, and it's really good, uh, and a lot of this stuff that we talked through today, I have I have culled from this particular resource, but it's a book called The Case for Life by Scott Klusendorf. Scott has been going around for, man, 25, 26 years, and that's kind of his specialty, kind of what he does, and so that's a really, really great resource, um, and actually, as a matter of fact, the subtitle of the book is something something along the lines of uh, e- e- equipping Christians to engage the culture or something like that. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole point of the book, and it's a, again, it's a pretty easy read and get it in paperback for like 10 or 12 bucks um but that's the place i would point people to because he deals with it from the medical side he deals with it from the science side and then he deals with it from how to have conversations with people on some of these arguments and objections with with grace and truth yeah that's good and we need more advocates we need more absolutely um that that vote in this persuasion that uh just just advocate and i was just looking up like you know jesus first sermon is it in luke chapter four and in that sermon uh, what you see is that Jesus talks about how he is coming and he is there to advocate for the oppressed, to bring justice yeah. to those who face yeah. injustice. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, all of us in today's culture, we, we advocate against injustices. We advocate for justice. And, and if we as a church are going to be Christ-like, and, and then we should advocate for justice. And there's an injustice that happens against unborn children just as there is injustice that happens in the world where we should advocate for for instance the rapist to face judgment for for their sin yeah but we should also stand up for the injustice that's gone against an unborn child Mm -hmm. or for a child that's being raised without parents and 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 is alone on the streets we that there's injustice happening to this child we need to find them someone to care for them in their early childhood um through the foster system or through adoption and so with all that in mind, I just want us to consider that our Christ-likeness, in Christ-likeness, the church needs to stand up, and we need to advocate for justice. Yeah, um, and I, that's a good slant to take, and here's why I say that. One of the things that has happened, as with some of the other issues on, uh, on the culture, apologetics, biblical worldview side of things, but especially with this one is it has been co-opted to be a political argument, Yeah. right? And it's not a political argument. Mm-hmm. It's an argument about life and death. Absolutely. It's an argument about being made in the image of God. But it has become a hot-button issue because of the politics involved. But And, and I, I really think that's the reason a lot of people, especially in the church, stray away from it is yeah. because they just don't want to get involved in politics. Wow. But 
yeah, the way you frame it is really good. It's not a political issue. It is a justice issue. It is a life or death issue. And so I think for for listeners to understand that although this is politicized, especially with it being an election year, you know, if you watch much of the debates or listen to much, you've seen this is a topic that's brought up a whole lot. But this is this goes way beyond any Republican, Democrat, Independent. This because it's it's about life. This is not an economic mm-hmm. issue. This is a life or death issue. Yeah. And Seth, I think you have. We have one more closing question, and then we've got to wrap things up. Yeah, um, Bill. The the big ending question is: Is there ever a time in which abortion is uh. is okay? Is is uh, permissible? <laughs> All right. Well, it's good talking to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you're answering this question and not me. No. Uh, the, the answer is yes, there are times when an abortion would be not wrong and not sinful. Um, and those are the cases where the mother's life it, is in danger. And so mm. um, here, here's how that shakes out. And some people are like, well, what's the difference? Here's the difference. You, you can sum up the difference with one word, intent. What is the intent when the abortion takes place? So one of the ways this happens is with what's called an ectopic pregnancy, and that is where the uh, egg gets fertilized uh, by the sperm and and implants somewhere other than the uterus, usually the fallopian tube, right? Mm -hmm. So what's going to happen is that is going to continue to grow for a season just because of cellular reproduction, but eventually it's going to stop growing because it's not getting the nutrients that it needs from the uterus. Mm -hmm. But it will there's a great, great chance that it will grow large enough to to cause a rupture in there and the mom can bleed to death. Now, either way, with an ectopic pregnancy, for example, either way, the child is not going to make it, mm. right? That, that child is not going to survive. So now the question becomes, what is the greatest good? Are we going to lose two lives? Or are we going to lose one? Knowing yep. that there is a 100% chance, there is zero possibility for that child to make it, yep. right? And so that's when, in that case, you would say, well, now what we're doing is we're saving a life, knowing mm-hmm. that a life is going to be lost anyway. And so we want to save the life of the mother because the life of the child cannot be saved. And I don't know of anybody who would say, no, on that, and, and, you know, in that case, it would be wrong. So you do mm-hmm. have a few, but on the, on the percentage scales, those are few and far between in the big realm of the number mm-hmm. of abortions that occur you know, every day. So not to be political, but since there is politics involved and legislation involved, you know, there is a way to pass legislation that would make abortion still legal in that way, but to make elective abortion wrong. Yeah. And so you do have those, again, on the percentage scale, they're they're rare, but they, but they do happen in those cases. Elective abortion meaning anybody can get an abortion right, at any right. time. Right, someone choosing to walk into a clinic and you know just wanting to abort the baby. Yes, mm-hmm. yes, yes. Like this is the prescribed way that we can save this person. Yes. Yes. Wow, that, that's really helpful. Uh, hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in. You you may need some, you may know someone who really needs to hear this episode, and so we would just encourage you to share it with them. And uh, thank you for continuing to listen to Lead Defend, uh, Bill. So thankful for oh, you. Thanks for having us. me, man. Yeah. Enjoyed it. It's good. Well, until next time. Much needed. That's it for this episode of Lead Defend. Until next time, check out our website at leaddefend.org for details on the next Lead Defend conference or shoot Seth and Ryan an email at leaddefend at absc.org. If you want to help us out, rate and review Lead Defend on your podcast app and make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Thanks for listening. Now go lead. A podcast from the Arkansas Baptist State Convention.